they have to go to their insured and ask for authority to disclose the limits. And sometimes the carriers don't specifically encourage them to say yes. And then sometimes they will say yes. And they, the carrier takes it upon themselves, which is not okay to say that they're not going to disclose the limits to the plaintiff's lawyer. Hey, this is Sean Kernakin, and you're tuned into Civil Action. This is the podcast of Cabotech LLP. We're a firm in downtown LA that does a lot of different work on the plaintiff's side. We do anything from insurance to personal injury, trial work to employment cases. And we put this podcast on so we can share with you what we are learning about the law. We try to cover a new case every once in a while. We're also going to try to bring on some guests soon to help you with your practice, to share some practice pointers that they have. And we also want to share some other things with you about women in the law and other interesting topics. Our weekly podcast is dedicated to important topics for lawyers and issues in the law. We have guests. We talk about recent cases. We talk about trends. We talk about practice areas. We try to help people be better lawyers and learn about the law. In some ways, you can look at this as a 15 to 20 minute law school class each week. So welcome back, everybody, to Civil Action. This is Brian Kabatek, your host, along with my sidekick, Sean Karnicki, and he hates being called sidekick, so I'm going to call him sidekick now permanently. He's my your, personal your law Ed partner. McMahon. I'm, I'm his law partner. I'm, I'm, I'm not his sidekick. Sidekick implies that, like, we have a good time together. Yeah. That's not the case. That's not you're, the case. You're my, you're my law partner like Ringo is a beetle, right? <laughs> that's kind of offensive. Yeah, that's offensive. Um, but that kind of goes over a lot of people's heads. And that went right over the head of our guest today, the newest partner at our firm, Stephanie Charlin, who Charlin. is Charlin, Charlin. I'm already mispronounced. Yeah. Oh, okay. So we can use, we can Charlin? pronounce it either way. <laughs> we can pronounce it either way. Stephanie Charlin, Stephanie Charlin. Charlin. Anyway, Stephanie, actually, all kidding aside, Stephanie has been with us since she, before she even finished law school, I've gotten to work with her a lot. She's developed an interest and a great skill set in handling insurance cases, uh, but she likes doing everything, not just yeah, insurance. Property uh, cases, tort cases, all kinds of cases. Yeah, She's had yeah. great experience with fire cases, so let's not sell her short on that. No, I know. But, but one of the things she's particularly good at is insurance, and she's gotten really interested in it, and she's someone that's a rising star in our world. So welcome, uh, it, welcome Stephanie. Welcome, welcome Steph. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And we're happy to have you. What are we talking about today? Well, we're going to have an interesting conversation today about an issue that comes up probably for most plaintiff tort practitioners on a regular basis. And that is when you get a case in the door, there's no lawsuit that's been filed and you're trying to find out how much insurance coverage the people have. And we're going to talk about kind of what the current state of the law is, what the rule is. And then I think it'll be kind of fun to spend a little bit of time talking about how it can be fixed and why it should be fixed. So while we get into that, why don't you, Stephanie, why don't you just go to set the table for us, so to speak, and talk about this is an issue that you're particularly interested in and you're sort of passionate about because it is one of those areas which is pretty unfair to the injured party when they're trying to figure out exactly what to do. And I personally think, and I'll just lay this out at the beginning, I also personally think it ends up being a tremendous waste of judicial resources. So, Stephanie, talk about it. I'd agree with that. First and foremost, the problem that we see today is a lot of plaintiff lawyers have to file a lawsuit just to get the policy limits. Uh, insurance car carriers don't have a duty before filing lawsuit to share their insured's 
policy limits. And so you could start a case. I mean, you could be in pre-litigation for months at a time and you still don't know what the policy limits are. Right. I mean, I think everybody's been in a situation where they, they call up the adjuster and they say, well, what are the policy limits? Because you're just trying to figure out, you know, what to do with the case, right? Exactly. And if there's no insurance limit, if there's no insurance policy that has coverage for your accident, why expend the resources and the time and your client's money and time uh, fighting a fight or going after insurance proceeds that just don't exist? So, or are really low, too, not just don't exist. Yeah, I think it's more of a problem of, of I mean, if there's an adjuster, I'm guessing that, that there's a policy out there that probably applies. I mean, that's not always the case, but it probably applies. But it's more often than not, you've got someone who has, you know, a fairly significant injury and you're trying to figure out how much coverage the other side right. has. Right. But if it's a 1530 policy, I'm sure as hell not going to spend a year pre-lit on a case like that. So it's, or, or, it's really important yeah, to yeah. find out early. And the only avenue at this point is to file a lawsuit. And as every plaintiff's lawyer's probably favorite discovery mechanism is, it's form interrogatories, which require very little work and they're quickly to get out the door. And in form interrogatory 4.1, it specifically asks for all the insurance limits, whether there's a reservation of rights that's being defended by. But you've already filed a lawsuit at that point, right? So why isn't it, and this is sort of a rhetorical question because I know the answer, but why isn't it that the insurer is, the claims representative is required to provide the policy limits for the third party? Why they're required? Why are they not? Why, why, yeah, why do they get to not provide it? I don't think there's a duty at that point. And I think it's statutory, isn't it? Is, Is there like a code section? I think it was 791. I'm looking it up right now, 791.13 that says the insurance company can't disclose the policy limits without the insurance prior written. And 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 that brings up a very important issue that I know you want to talk about, Stephanie, which is, so let me me set up a hypothetical and then you can kind of explain us through it. I have a case against somebody who's, you know, I'm talking to the, the adjuster. And I finally send a letter requesting the amount of the policy limits because I don't know. I've got somebody who's got a fairly significant injury. If it's a 1530 policy or now a 2550, 3060, whatever it is, if it's that kind of a policy, it should clearly be paid. But if the person has a $100,000, $200,000 policy, maybe not. Who knows? And I send a letter and I, to the claims adjuster and I say, hey, tell me the amount of coverage. What happens? Nine times out of 10, they're going to say no. But here's the exception. If the carrier has an obligation to, once he gets a demand, for example, they have to go to their insured and ask for authority to disclose the limits. And sometimes the carriers don't specifically encourage them to say yes. And then sometimes they will say yes. And they, the carrier takes it upon themselves, which is not okay to say that they're not going to disclose the limits to the plaintiff's lawyer. Well, So the first important rule here is that once you make a demand, they have got to ask their insured, right? Correct. And their insured can say yes, or their insured can say no, or their insured cannot respond, which I assume is going to be the same as saying no, because then the carrier doesn't have specific authority to release the information under the statute that Sean was talking about, which is basically a privacy statute, right, Sean? Yeah, yeah. Insurance Information and Privacy Act or some Privacy Protection Act. That's where it comes from. Isn't the failure to ask for permission to release the policy limits information a act of bad faith in and of itself? Couldn't that be a basis for bad faith? Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, particularly if the insured ends up getting tagged later for a big excess judgment and they didn't ask the insured for permission to release the, the policy limits. Right, Stephanie? Correct. And I think the question really, what, what interests me is what is the carrier even saying to the policyholder, their, their client, as to why the policy limits shouldn't be disclosed? Right. Well, that's a really good question. And I think that's where you get into the gray area because an insurer could write a very neutral letter. Um, dear insured, uh, the, the party on the other side has asked for this. It's up to you. If you want us to disclose it, we will disclose it. Um, and they could also write a letter that explains to the insured that disclosing this information may lead to a rapid resolution of the claim or it may allow us easier access to get this claim resolved, which in some cases would be true, right? Yeah, but what, what incentive does the carrier have to do that? Well, because that that's the good question. The carrier may have no incentive to do that, but because their duty is to protect the insured, if they had a 1530 policy and someone that was critically injured, you might say, well, by providing this information to the lawyer for the injured party, it may allow us to more rapidly close this claim and get a full release. That's what the right thing to do. That's what they should do. But it's their money and they don't want to do that. So they're under no legal obligation to put either advice or counsel one way or another into these kind of letters, right? That's correct. Do you guys think that should change? I think the whole process should change. I agree. I think the whole thing is needs to be revamped. Because lawsuits are getting unnecessarily filed. We'll, we'll talk about this in a minute, but they're going to get necessarily getting filed over this. But let's assume that they write a letter to the insured. And if that letter to the insured is trying to discourage them, could that in and of itself be an act of bad faith? Like every lawyer, I think it depends. It depends on the fact of the case. I think just sending the letter in and of itself doesn't constitute bad faith. It depends on the injury, the potential excess judgment at that point based on the investigation of the adjuster and what they know at that time. So I don't think the actual letter in and of itself at face value will always mean bad faith. But And what, what, are, what are the terms in this letter? What, what were the terms, Brian, elaborate on that hypothetical or whoever came up with the hypo? It discourages the disclosure of the, the information? Right. It says you're under no obligation to provide this information. It says... Uh, which is a true statement. I don't think that necessarily is wrong, but it says, what if it, the letter went on to say, providing this information can encourage a plaintiff lawyer to come after you personally. Providing this information will only incentivize greedy trial lawyers to look File for lawsuit or, uh, yeah. lawsuits that they can bring. It will cause your insurance rates to go up. Providing this information is a bad precedent because it hurts the insurance industry and we don't want it or something, you know, whatever. It's, I, it, I think those are, those are egregious. I mean, that kind of letter I think would be a great piece of evidence for bad faith. Now, what if, what if it was softer and it just said something along the lines of our investigation just commenced. We're not quite sure whether the, the damages are going to meet our policy limits, yeah. something like that. You don't have to give it right now. You can always authorize Correct. this later. Correct. Or if, if a lawsuit is filed, you would have to give it anyway. So you don't have to worry about giving it right now. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, that, it's a good question. I would sure as hell argue that it is bad faith to kind of discourage them from disclosing the policy limits. You know, if I were, if I, if, if I were a lawyer, if any of us were lawyers representing insurers, we would probably tell the insurance company to make the letter very neutral. Mm -hmm. This is your yeah. personal information. It's up to you. There are pros and cons. You know, you, sh you can talk to an independent lawyer. I'd probably put something like that if I were drafting a letter. And keep it vague. 
and say that it's up to you and please let us know what you want us to do. If we don't hear from you, we'll presume you don't want us to turn the information over and we won't turn it over, but, and make it easy for them to respond. You know, you can, you can email us at, you can call us at, you can send this back with the self-addressed stamp envelope and closed, whatever. I would make it very easy because I'd want to make sure that it's neutral and that the insured was given a full and complete opportunity to make their own decision. Yeah. But I don't There's, work for insurance companies. By the way, I just have to make a comment about what some people do pre-lit that I've heard about with policy limits that they don't know about. You know, there's services out there that you pay them like $99 and they'll go out there and they'll do some kind of a search. I don't even know how they do it, but they try to figure out the limits and things like that. I think those, unless you guys think differently, I think those are totally unreliable and it's almost like, I don't know, borderline malpractice to rely on those and say, oh, well, we looked into it. We we paid our investigator. They found out that it's a $15,000 policy. So that's it. We're done. You know, some, something like that, right? Have you ever heard of services like that? I have heard of services like that. I, I don't know if they're reliable or not reliable. I also heard of people that write demand letters, policy limit demand letters that say if it's 1530 or minimum limits, because the limits are changing, we're, we're recording this at the very tail end of 2022. And if you say we demand that the if the policy's minimal limits, the the injuries here exceed that, you know, there is a question whether or not that's reasonable or unreasonable for a carrier to accept or reject that. But you know, you just don't know, right? Yeah, you just don't know at that point. You don't I know. guess you can make a contingent type of offer. If the limits are fifteen or whatever the minimum is, then we will we will take those or something like that. Maybe. I mean, I think there's a pretty good argument that if that's the case. You are sort of, I don't want to say setting them up, but you are doing the right thing or it's a step in the right direction. Yep. At least it puts in writing now that they have a duty to go tell their client, the policyholder yep. or the insurance company, whatever it may be. Hey, we got this demand. Can we yep. disclose the limits at this point? Yeah. Well, we, not we, just a demand, but a, a demand to settle within pol within your policy limits. You know, here's this opportunity. Can we disclose or can we and and can we just settle it? Look, I want to I want to do this. I want to for the for the last few minutes we've got here. I want to talk about two different things. One is I want to talk about possible legislative fixes to this problem, and then secondly, I want to talk about a, a different problem. But it's once there's a lawsuit filed and there's a disclosure, but it's wrong. So let's let's put that on the shelf for a second. Let's talk about the first one, Stephanie. What do you see as a legislative fix for this? I think we need to require limits to be disclosed when they're demanded or when they're requested. Now, I'm not saying all policy limits, but at least uh, up to a certain amount. So for example, any policy limit under $100,000, maybe under $250,000 has to be disclosed. And I think that will expedite or, or not expedite, but it'll decrease the number of lawsuits that are small lawsuits that are getting filed in the Supreme Court and across the country. Well, at least California. You don't you don't actually file lawsuits in the Supreme Court, Stephanie. I just in Thank case you. you missed that day in law school. I just I did. wanted to make that clear. It's her first podcast. It's okay. Uh, I had a we question. give each other a hard time all the time on the we podcast. Do. Sean, we do. So welcome, welcome, Sean and welcome I do Stephanie. all the time. So, now we yeah. can What's now we new? can direct our now we can our, pick our, on you. Uh, yeah, we can pick on you. Uh no, but I have a serious question. Do you know what prompted the passage of the Insurance Information and Privacy Protection Act? The, the basically the statute that says you don't have to disclose the limits with or you can't disclose the limits without uh, Other than the consent. fact that the insurance lobby is very strong in, in Sacramento and they don't like information being disseminated and they don't trust us plaintiff lawyers and they think that once information gets into our hands, we're going to abuse it and use it and, and gin up lawsuits. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I think the insurance industry would resist any blanket mandatory disclosure pre-lit. 
However, I think that listening to Stephanie, I think that what hit me was, I'm not sure if you could add 100 or 250 limiters, but I bet that a good rule would be if it's minimal limits, whatever that's defined at, at the time in the law, that the carrier would have to tell you that. You know, yeah. if you send a letter and say, I represent Mr. Jones, who was hit by Ms. Smith, I demand to know that Ms. Smith's limits are minimal or not. And the carrier then has to write back and say they're not minimal limits or they are minimal limits. Because, frankly, I think, you know, and I don't have any statistical information about this, but I think a lot of lawsuits are filed and they file them in the superior court, Stephanie. In the superior court, they file lawsuits simply because they don't know. And then they get the information and it usually takes 90, 120 days, whatever, to get that information. You get that information, it comes back, it's a 1530 policy or 2550 or whatever the limit's going to be. And the lawyer goes, if I had known this, I would have avoided writing it. And they write a demand letter and they say, we demand the policy limits. And sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. Yeah. But it could save a lot of unnecessary lawsuits from being filed. It, it, yeah, it can. I, when I asked that my last question about why why did this law get passed, why does it exist, I suspect, like you said, it had to do with you know the insurance industry thinking that it would encourage lawsuits if limits were more readily accessible or they were required to share. But ironically, I think you're right. This proposal that we've Definitely. sort of come up with here, it would discourage the filing of of these small lawsuits, especially when it's like 1530 limits. It would discourage it. It would actually kind of clean up the court system, maybe to a certain degree. And it would have it would give the insurance companies less lawsuits to deal with. So it's actually everyone stands to benefit. And I think the other downside of them not having to disclose the limits is the delay that the clients face too. Not just the, the lawyers wasting resources on this stuff, but the clients. You know, someone's injured. They're only gonna get fifteen thousand dollars anyway if it's a minimum policy, but because of this the lack of a requirement for them to disclose limits, they may end up having to wait you know, months until they can see a penny uh, out of this small insurance policy. So yeah, I think, I think that's a good proposal. Yeah. So let me pivot now to another issue that we've talked about with Stephanie outside the podcast, which is now you're in litigation and you've asked for the policy limits and they disclose the policy limits to you, but they either misrepresent the policy limits in discovery responses or they don't tell you about excess umbrella type of coverage, which, of course, is additional coverage. So they may tell you that Mr. Insured has a million-dollar policy, whatever the number is. But then they don't bother to tell you that he also has a $5 million excess umbrella policy. What happens then? Happens more frequently than not. Yeah, I've seen it happen a lot. There's not much more to do besides bring it to the attention of the attorney if you know that there's excess. Yeah, but what if available. you don't know? I mean, what if suddenly you're in the middle of this and you think there's a million dollar policy? What if you demand the million dollars and the carrier gladly pays it because they know that there's four million dollars excess? Well, I wouldn't accept it without a declaration that there's no other insurance. Well, you've in, in some respects you have that declaration. Of course, that's right. But you have some in some respects you have that information in these in the discovery know, response discovery yeah. responses. Yeah. But it's a very tricky issue. I will give you my advice about this is if you have a critically injured party or a substantial damage case, you know, it could be outside the personal injury world, and they've told you there's only a million dollar coverage and you know that this is the three, four, five, ten million dollar loss, I would start asking for certificates of insurance. I'd potentially take depositions of, of insurance people to make sure that that information is correct. I think a lot of times what happens too is that the 
poor underpaid defense lawyer, and I, I mean that sincerely, isn't given the right information. They don't know. You know, right. they're just not if told. They're, if they're in the first layer of that primary policy, right. maybe they're not yeah. even told that there is excess. They, they, they don't even know. The the one carrier that's handling the defense goes, oh, yeah, here's our policy. That's all they're told. They're not told that, oh, wait, there's a separate, totally different insurance company that has its own policy that's beyond these limits. You know, so I think at the very least, before even what Brian suggested, the very least, and something that we do do around here when we're dealing with catastrophic injury cases or high value cases is in discovery, ask, is there an excess policy? Just outright ask. Don't just rely on the, what are the 4.1s, but beyond that, just send an interrogatory. And if you have any doubt, if you have any doubt, so what I was going to say is as soon as you get the, the lawsuit filed, serve as much discovery on the insurance limits as possible. Ask for the substantive policy. They're obligated to give it to you and you review it for yourself. And even when they get your, you get their responses back, confirm in writing that this is all that there is. You should take a close look at who the defendant is. This happened recently in, a, in one of our car accident cases where the defendant was a trucking company. And I looked at the limit and I said, okay, a million dollars. That seems awfully low for a very, very large company. And lo and behold, in the middle of mediation, we find out that there's a $5 million excess and we have to stop mediation. So I think looking at the defendant's And what's their claim, explanation for why they didn't voluntarily give it? It's like, well, no one asked us explicitly. No, because in FormRog 4.1, it specifically asks for umbrella or excess. I think they it's like Brian up, said. That, I think that that, how that happened? I think, look, I think some lawyers, they don't get the information they need from their client and or they're lazy and don't ask for it. But it's our responsibility to make sure that we review everything and make sure we know what the policy limits are. Yeah, I agree with you because I think it's one area where if the defense lawyer, the insurance care, whoever just doesn't provide the right information, you may never find out. You may settle that case for the $100,000, $500 million policy, whatever, and it was worth a lot more and never find out. If you do find out, there's probably a good argument that you can reopen the case or file a new case for fraud, but it's not easy. I mean, that's going to be a fight, right? You're, you're going to enter into yeah. a release, and a 1542 release, complete release. So, you know, you could be literally screwed in a situation like this. So I agree. If you have a high-value case, I think the way to go after it is to, you know, look at it from every which way you can and every angle you possibly can to try to lock that information down. Right? And make sure that they actually answered each part of Form Interrogatory 4.1 and all the subparts. Yeah. A lot yeah. of the time they don't. They won't even tell you if there's a reservation rights. It happened recently in another case that's pending, so I can't talk about it. But I sent a letter last night asking defense counsel to specify whether there's excess or umbrella coverage beyond what they've disclosed in, in discovery. Yeah. And whether or not there's a reservation rights. I have a question, Brian, and, and I, I know it's an it, it depends thing because uh, you and I have dealt with this before. No, you can't have my office. You can't have my office. Okay, never mind. Withdraw. No, seriously, is a plaintiff entitled to a copy of the reservation of rights letter issued by the insurer to their insured, the defendant? I don't believe so. I, I think it's a very good question, an open question. I don't know specifically what the law is on it uh, off the top of my head, but I think that, and thanks for putting me on the spot, Sean. I think that they may it's be It's an open able, question. That's why well, I, I, I just yeah, want to I don't think it is that open, open as you think, because there's the California, um, the CCP code, code 2017.210, talks about you can only get the extent of the coverage, but not the actual substantive issue at hand if there's a reservation. However, what I would try to do to get around this is I would insist that the insured be given a copy of the demand, the letter and the request for demand, and that they be given an opportunity to, to hire independent counsel, at least with respect to that issue, because otherwise 
they're only being directed by the lawyer that's appointed by the insurance company to protect the insurance company's rights. So, you know, at least the insured should know, because if I represented an insured with a serious question about coverage, I'd want the plaintiff's lawyer to know that right. so that the plaintiff's lawyer can become not in a, in a co-conspiratorial type of way, but sort of an advocate and sort of an ally when it comes to coverage issues. Anyways, that's kind of outside our scope of today. I'm not sure there's anything more we want to say specifically about the topic. Stephanie, you want to have any last words on this topic? Are we running out of time? Do we have to go off the air soon? Or is this not a live show? Oh, we got a few more minutes. It's okay. It's, no. it's The sponsors don't mind. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, no. The, Do we have this, any sponsors yet, Sean? No, we don't. Nobody's interested in sponsoring us. That's Our sponsor is Brian Cabotech. There is no one listening, Steph, because mm. it's not live. No, I know, but do we ever get to see how many people listen when it we goes? do ultimately find out? Yeah, and, we get and to it's know 11. All your names too. Are they all your family members, Brian? All eleven? No, no one in my family can actually know how to use a podcast. <laughs> mm, well, my nephew could. Okay, so one. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's excellent. So, Stephanie, any last thoughts or comments about this specific subject? Um, not quite. I mean, look, do your due diligence. Make sure you know the policy limits right off the bat. If you have questions about language in a policy or whether there's excess, call a friend. <laughs> Find out. Yeah. What if Get you're help. like, Sean, don't have any friends? Mm, or call us. Tough. You don't have to be our friend to call us. <laughs> yeah. Right. I deal with that. All. People call me all the time and they're not my friends. Most people aren't my friends. That's the default position, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, but really, call if, if you have a question, you know, without making this too much of a sales pitch, call us. We'll help you with, you know, we'll, we'll help you. We'll hey, Sean, this is, this is Stephanie's first time on our podcast, so we should ask you some questions, right? Oh, no. Should we? Okay. Don't you think? What do you want? Should what, what should we ask her? Let's, I'll if, ask her. There's no question you can ask that you don't already know. Let's put it that way. No, no, but our listeners don't I'm know. I'm trying to think of something. What did you want to be when you were growing up, Stephanie? Unfortunately, a lawyer. A lawyer. Always a lawyer. How okay. old were you when you wanted to become a lawyer? Well, when I was a kid, my whole family was like, you have a mouth on you. You're going to be a lawyer one day. Well, they were right. There we go. Yeah. They, they were right. I think you picked the right job. Favorite meal? All, all kidding aside. You're going to embarrass me like this? No, yeah, of course we are. Favorite meal? Chicken tenders all day. With or without French fries? With ranch. With or without French fries? With French fries. And would you use but the not, ranch? But not, I won't sit next to you because you'll eat all of them. Right. Would, would you? <laughs> that's a good. That's point. true. Do you use the ranch dressing as a dip for your French fries or just for the chicken tenders? Both. Okay. Sean? Okay. What's your favorite type of case that you've done? You don't have to tell us specifics or case name or anything like that. My favorite cases are catastrophic injury cases for sure. Okay. Big injury cases. Okay. But I love my insurance cases too, and I love my wildfire cases too. Yeah. But those are for sure my favorite. I just think the clients are. Um, I think the clients are extremely grateful and appreciative, and it makes the job that we have, which is extremely hard, better. Yeah. Favorite movie? I'm so bad with Have names. you ever seen a movie? Do you have a television? No, but I want to see Avatar. <laughs> Man on Fire used to be my favorite movie. Denzel Washington? Yeah. So As opposed good. to the other one, Sean? No, I was trying to figure out which movie it is. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen Man on Fire. Are there multiple movies named Man on Fire? Is it my turn? F favorite song? Tennessee Whiskey. Chris Stapleton. Who's Chris I, Stapleton? Oh, boy. And you make fun of me. Is he country western? I actually know He's that country. song because it's on, like, the Yellowstone Here, are soundtrack. We allowed to, are we allowed to play no, it? No, we'll, we'll probably get hit with, like, copyright infringement stuff. No, we can't stuff. do that. We don't, <laughs> no, I don't, we don't play no, songs. No, but it's on the Yellowstone soundtrack, so I actually know that song, and I actually like it. Excellent. 
Well, Stephanie, yeah. you've been a great guest. Thank you very much for being on with us today. We'll do this again sometime on another topic. Shant? Yes. Should I sign us off? Well, thank you for tuning in. But really, if you guys have any questions for us or for Stephanie, who's probably a lot more pleasant to talk to than talking to me or Brian, uh, give her a call, get, get in touch with any of us. And, you know, if you have these insurance questions, all kidding aside, if you do have these questions, if you're not sure about something, if you want sample discovery, sample stuff to send out, reach out to us. We're always there. We try to help people out. You know, people helped us out while we were coming up and and we want to return the favor and make our side of the bar strong as strong as possible. So thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Hey, thank you for listening today. We really appreciate it. This is Brian Kabatek. You can reach me at bsk at kbklawyers.com. And I'm Sean Kernick, and you can find me online at sk at kbklawyers.com. And as you might have guessed, our website is kbklawyers.com. You could find us on all social media platforms at Cabotech LLP. We like putting on the show. We appreciate you listening. If you can go online and like us, give us ratings, follow us on all the different platforms. If you know someone that practices in a particular area and you, you think they might find this useful, feel free to share it with them. And feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions, if you wanna bring an interesting case to our attention, you have a potential case you want advice on from us, we'd be happy to help you out if we can. And we'd love to hear from you. Yeah.